The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Springs of Living Water. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Let me ask you a question. Help me understand how it is that the gospel is proclaimed on every hand. There's almost a church on every corner. Pastors have never been better trained. Pastors have never been paid better than they are right now in America. We've never in the history of the church had any better facilities than we have now. We have magnificent buildings on almost every major street and road. There's television. There's radio. You can turn 24 hours a day to Weva and hear the gospel in some form. Bookstores overflow with religious books and literature. Tell me, how is it that religion, that faith in Jesus Christ, that the behavior of those who call themselves Christians is at such an utterly low estate? How is it that there is so little godliness Holiness, righteousness, Christ-likeness. This morning I went out and got a cup of hot coffee, tried to clear my throat. And a woman came in who was dressed in a very suggestive, sexual garb that any man would almost be tempted to turn and take a second look. She stopped and talked with one of the men sitting in the coffee shop. They had met one another somewhere, and she stood and and talked, and he tried to invite her to come to his church, and she said, Oh, I'm in church four or five nights a week. I'm a regular active member of my church. And he said, well, that's wonderful. But here's my church. Check it out. See what you think. We have a great music program. So they chit-chatted back and forth, and then she was on her way in her yoga pants, low-cut top, wild hair. It was an obvious disconnect between 
what I see in the scripture and the words she spoke. Why is the Christian church today in America so much like the world? What has happened to us? Am I being politically correct to ask this question? If so, thank Jesus. I don't want to be politically correct. I listened to one man as he said, you know, the first task we have in the church, this was a pastor, the first task we have in the church is to make the gospel of Jesus relevant to the world. We don't want to turn the world away from listening to us. We need to approach them in a way that they will feel comfortable. Really? I guess I've missed something very important. In my mind, I come to the world not to make it feel comfortable. I don't come to you today to try to present the gospel in a way that it will be relevant to your life. I've used every ounce of my energy to try to make you relevant to Jesus. It's not Jesus who must change. It's the world that must change. And there's no comfortable way to say that. At least, I've not found a comfortable way to say that. Covenant Church in Springfield, a megachurch, made the decision that they would no longer teach those who were coming to explore the gospel about the lordship of Jesus. Instead, they would just teach them singularly about the saving power of Jesus. And after they have made the decision that they will accept Jesus, then in time, when they mature, they'll teach them about the lordship of Jesus. Somehow that just seems all wrong to me. How can there be any salvation if the whole focus is on whether or not I will accept Jesus? I thought the question was, would Jesus accept me? So what has happened to us? John Wesley always taught that if the behavior of God's people was not appropriate behavior, it was because they had been taught incorrectly. And I'll be very straightforward with you today, and and I'm just going to say it, please. I've not come to try to please you. I've tried to ask some questions and uncover some reality. And by the way, I'm going to give you my phone number, 877-534-0780. I would be very interested in hearing from you 
about why there is such a low level of Christian behavior, such a low level of righteousness and holiness in the Christian church today in America. What's that about? What do you, how do you understand that? If you'd like to talk about that, call me at 877-534-0780. Now, how do we how do we begin to even talk about it? And I guess I want to just stir the pot immediately and say, I believe that the problem of the Christian church in America is that we have bought the lie of a free get out of jail card. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't have television. We didn't have the radio to listen to. My parents would only allow that to be used for the evening news for Lowell Thomas. Our focus was on family and work, farming, school. But in our off time... Often on a Saturday night, we would gather and play games as a family. My mother and father loved to play dominoes, and they would often have another family over, and they would play dominoes, and the kids would all get together with the Monopoly board. Well, I I discovered that when I was playing Monopoly, if I could get a free get-out-of-jail card, it didn't bother me then how I threw the dice because I knew I wasn't going to be put in jail and not be able to progress and buy up properties. I didn't want to sit in jail and throw my dice as everyone else continued to go around the board. Well, I think that in the Christian church today, we have we have been taught that we have a free get-out-of-jail card that all we need to do is accept Jesus, say, I repent of my sins, and then I'm home free. Jesus loves me unconditionally. That's my free get-out-of-jail. Jesus covers over my sin, and so when God looks at me, he doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. So I don't have to have any real righteousness. I'm good to go. Now, yes, I'll take the seminars and the workshops on how to improve my life, and so I'll try to leave my sin. But I'm accepted. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven, and now I just have to work a little on getting my life cleaned up so that I can have some fellowship with Jesus. It's called, theologically, it's called positional righteousness. It means that I am in the position of being righteous because I accepted Jesus. But in fact, I'm not righteous. In fact, 
The teaching is you can never be righteous. You can never leave your sin, not until you die. And when you die, then your sin will be removed from you and you'll be able to go to heaven and be happy thereafter. I believe this lie, this gross misinterpretation of the gospel of positional righteousness is destroying the church and it will bring God's judgment upon America. There is so little righteousness in America because there is so little righteousness in the pulpit and so little righteousness in the membership of the church. Now I know that my understanding of this will upset many of you. How do you understand it? I don't want to argue with you about it, but I'd be interested in knowing what you believe. Have you been caught in this this lie of positional righteousness? You know, my whole heart is concerned about abiding in Jesus, about remaining in Jesus, and not being separated from Jesus by any wickedness in my heart, in my life. I'm concerned about walking in love and peace, having no bitterness in my heart, having no no hate or anger toward God or toward my brother or sister. I want to lock I want to lock up. I want to destroy by the power of the blood of Jesus, by his circumcision of my heart. I want to be clean. The great cry of my heart daily is, Oh, Jesus, I love you. I want to walk with you. I want to be one with you. I don't want to be one with the entertainment of this world. I don't want to be one with Santa Claus. I don't want to be one with the natural ways of the flesh. I came to Jesus to be washed and set free and to be made innocent. I want to look with you again in the book of Galatians. And this is one of the books where the people who teach positional righteousness immediately turn. But if you very carefully read the book of Galatians, you'll discover that there are only two ways to walk. One is to walk in the flesh, to walk in the law. The law was given to point out our sin. The law was given to uncover our wickedness so that we could come to Jesus and have the wickedness removed from our hearts. But then someone will say to me, but, but, but pastor, wait a minute. Galatians, the third chapter, 
Look at this. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So my righteousness simply comes by my believing in Jesus. That's the interpretation it's generally given. That's positional righteousness. That's what some of you who are more scholarly will call imputed righteousness. I challenge you. Show me one place in the Greek where it gives us the word imputed righteousness. There is no such thing. It's simply not there. Positional righteousness is not taught anywhere in the Scriptures. Real righteousness is taught in the Scriptures, where a man or a woman makes the decision to be crucified with Christ, to leave behind the old man, the old woman, to leave behind the way and path of sin, to utterly cast out everything of darkness, to come out of the world and be separate from the world, to love nothing in the world or of the world, to be totally given over to Jesus Christ. Let me show you now how this works in the story of Abraham. It says, He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. So if we act like Abraham, if we take the position that Abraham took, he's saying, you will be righteous. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify, and let's be clear, these words have been corrupted. When we go to the original meaning of the word justify, dikasune, it is to make righteous, to make innocent, not to pretend to make righteous. There is spoken of in Scripture a great delusion that will come over the people of God and deceive, if possible, the very elect. I believe that that great delusion has been in the church for many years. And that great delusion is that sin doesn't really matter because Jesus paid the price on Calvary for past, present, and future sins. If you believe that, you have believed the great delusion of the devil. And frankly, that's why there is such a low level of Christian faith. Now, I urge you, don't simply say, Pastor, you're crazy. Study the word for yourself. Turn aside from what the preachers of the day are teaching. Turn aside from what John MacArthur teaches in his Bible in the notes. Turn aside from the ESV. Don't, don't believe the notes that they give in their study Bible. They lie. That's the delusion. 
Now let me show you very specifically this story of Abraham. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the gentle Gentiles by faith. Let's get the, the meaning of faith and let's nail it down very tight. If you look in any commentary, if you look at Strong's, you look at the meaning of the Greek word faith, and you will find that it means to be absolutely convinced, not intellectually, but totally. Mind, body, and soul, convinced. If you look at the Hebrew meaning of the word faith, it has a little different touch. It means fidelity to. It means loyalty to. If you look at the word believe, it does not mean intellectual assent. It means that I am attached to. I am in faith with. I am one with. I will not be separated from what I believe. Now, if what you believe that you are attached to is wrong, you will not end up in heaven. You will end up in hell. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, let's go very specifically to the story of Abraham. And I want to read this for you. And I could give you example after example of this in the story of the life of Abraham. This is chapter 12 of Genesis. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham is told what he should do, and then he is told of the wonderful things that God would do. Remember, this is the example that is being used by the Apostle Paul in Galatians to illustrate what the Scriptures mean when it says... It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Notice, so Abram left as the Lord told him. Wait a minute. Would all of this blessing have belonged to Abraham had he continued to live in Ur of the Chaldees? The Ur of the Chaldees was a very sophisticated, cultured city of that day. It was a a center of great learning. And Abram and his family were very wealthy. 
they were people of means, and they were recognized as leaders. And now the Lord speaks to him, and he says, leave your country. Had he not left Ur of the Chaldees, would the unconditional love of God still given to him all of these promises that God has made? Obviously, if you're a thoughtful person, you're going to have to answer no. Abram had to move his family from the sophisticated city to the boondocks, where he would meet with God. God would never have come and met him in Ur of the Chaldees had he remained there. He would have chosen another person. And Abram would have been cast aside. But Abram is now 75 years old, and he sets out from Haran. That's where they move from Ur of the Chaldees to Haran, meaning place of being parched. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. This is what he did. And Paul says in Galatians, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, what does the word credited mean in the Greek? It literally means inventoried. You know what inventory is. You've seen it so many times in bookstores. You'll see them going around with their little counter, counting all the books. Or the store owner who sells clothing will be going through the store. They'll have a special pre-inventory sale where they want to sell off as much as they can to reduce the amount of inventory they must inventory for tax purposes. To inventory literally means to count, to examine. So he believed God, and it was credited, it was inventoried, it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, those who teach positional righteousness or imputed righteousness want to say that, that he had no righteousness, that instead, simply because he believed God, intellectually believed God, said, yes, I'll agree to that, that because Abram agreed with God, that he believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abram. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify or make righteous the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
So what did the man of faith do? The man of faith packed up his house and he moved. And God looked at this and said, Okay, you believed me and you acted on it. And now I'm inventorying your life and found that you have obeyed me. And so now I find you righteous. Now, Abraham should not have packed his household in Ur of the Chaldees and moved. It was a very foolish thing for him to do from a worldly perspective. It meant literally the end of his life socially. The end of his life as he knew it in the big city. He was now entering into a totally different life. And Paul uses that example as a man being made righteous. So we have two ways that men attempt to be made righteous. One, by the law, keeping the law, and two, a man who hears the word of God and acts on the word of God and by the power of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit, Abraham moved. Now, if you read the rest of the story of Abraham, you find that when he got to that place, that promised land that he was sent to, there was a famine. And he pitched his tent between Bethel, the house of bread, and Ai, the house of destruction. And you're going to find, as you carefully look at the story of Abraham, going step by step with him through his life, and I may need to come back and do that for you, you will find that Abraham had to grow up in his faith and in his righteousness. He sees that there is a famine where God has sent him. And now, instead of crying out to God, he goes to Egypt. And he tries in his flesh to provide for himself. And to provide for himself means that he will lie, that he'll tell Pharaoh that his wife is his sister, and now he will give up the most precious person in his life to survive for himself. A perfect example of a, of a man who steps out in faith and obeys the word of the Lord and is credited as righteous and then goes back on his faith in God and now says, okay, I have to take care of myself, I have to take care of business, and I'm going to give up my wife. And Pharaoh takes her to the palace. That wife was 
the one through whom God wanted to make Abram into a great nation. The blessing of God was only going to come through Sarai in the birthing of a son. And so now Abram has put himself in a place where he cannot win because now he is trusting in his flesh. He is trusting in the law. He is trusting in himself. And finally, God has had enough and seals up the womb of Pharaoh's family, all of the women. No one can give birth to a child. And he brings serious disease on Pharaoh and his whole household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summons Abram and he says, What have you done to us? What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So then I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And he kicked him out of Egypt. Now let's be honest. This is the suffering that one goes through if one is willing to recognize that there is no such thing as positional righteousness, that we must be made righteous. And that doesn't happen with a snap of the fingers. It doesn't happen quickly and easily. It involves suffering, and suffering in the New Testament is called crucifixion. Jesus called it being born from above. You and I don't remember what it was like to be born. But I have watched my daughters being born. And frankly, it was a pretty painful process, not just for Mama, but for them as well. And the first thing they did when they got out of that womb was wail. They cried. Now, we all were happy because we said, they're breathing, they're breathing, they're okay. But if you ask baby, they're very uncomfortable. It's cold. They got squeezed really hard. Even a little misshapen. Looking a little like a squash. It was painful. It's not easy to be birthed. The whole story of Abraham is that story. It's the story of of Abraham learning to trust in the Lord. Chapter 15. Lot has separated, and now God has Abram exactly where he wants him. He's now ready to go into serious work to make this man righteous. He is not going to be made righteous by the law. The law has not yet been given. But God is going to discipline this man. He's going to turn him inside out. Going to make him righteous. But you see, if you have no sense that you need to be made righteous, if you have believed the lie of positional righteousness, 
then what handle does God have to get a hold of your life? How can he help you? So the church today has shut off the ability of God to get a hold of it by believing a lie, by believing in positional righteousness, by believing that justification by faith means that just my past sins, my present and my future sins have all been wiped out, and I don't have to worry about sin anymore. I'm saved And besides, I can't ever really be righteous. I can't ever be really innocent. So I'm going to believe that I'm going to go into heaven as a sinner, except that I'm not because when I die, everything's going to be taken care of and I'm going to be changed in an instant and, and I'm on my way. No, you're not. You're on your way to hell. This work has to be done now. It was in Abram's life. Listen, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and he said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And then verse 6, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abram goes through these major crisis issues. And each time after he goes through this major crisis and he obeys the word of the Lord, the Lord comes and is pleased with him and says, I am your reward. And it is credited to him, it is inventoried in his life that he has made this progress by the power of God not by the power of the law, not by straining. and No, it's simply, will you allow Jesus to come and circumcise your heart and cut off the wickedness from your heart? Any teaching that you receive that says that you can be saved and still walk in your natural flesh life is straight from the pit of hell. It is a lie. Now, I know I've spoken this so many times and in so many ways, and it's obvious to me that most of you do not believe what I am saying. You quickly run back and you find the shelter of your psychological position from teachers who have taught you something that allows you to be unchristlike and still claim that you are a Christian. You find in chapter 16 that Sarai could not bear children. And finally she says, look, why don't you take my Egyptian maidservant named Hagar and why don't you have a child by her? Perhaps I can build a family through her. In other words, God's not going to do this. Right at the heart of this whole issue of positional righteousness is the belief that God did something at the cross in Jesus, but that he won't do it now in you. That that God did something awesome back at the cross, 
and your sins are forgiven, but somehow he left the job incomplete. And now he won't make you righteous. He won't clean up your heart. He won't wash away that bitter temper. He won't remove from you the lust of your heart. He won't remove from you the fantasies that you have that you can be the man, that you can go out and earn your money and create your reality. Why would why would a person believe that? Well, because, wow, if I can get a hold of positional righteousness and believe that it doesn't matter that I still walk in sin, and that, in fact, I walk in sin every day, and I claim that position, what a comfortable position to rest in. I don't have to worry anymore. I'm, I'm good to go. I can enjoy my life. I can feast on all of the entertainment of the world. I can be excited about Star Wars. I can be excited about the sports, the professional sports. I can fill my life with with work and making money. I don't have to worry about this Jesus thing. I can go get my ticket punched once a week when I go to church, get a little inspiration, a little encouragement, a little dose of poison that teaches me that I'm just fine the way I am, just think positively smile, say, I am, I have the power of I am. You'll listen to the smiling preacher as he lies to you. What a desperate, desperate situation we're in in America. We can hold as many prayer vigils as you want to hold. We can hold as many days of fasting and prayer. We can pray until we're blue in the face. God's not going to answer. Because we have no repentance in our hearts. We've been vaccinated by the worldly church. We've been vaccinated by Calvinism. We've been, we've been vaccinated by the reformed doctrine of lies. So we have no sense of our need of righteousness. So they have a child, child of the flesh, Ishmael. The prophecy is that he would be a a donkey of a man, his hand would be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. Wow, is that being seen in in the Arab lands today? Hobbyism on one side, Sunnis on another, Shias on another, Kurds fighting. What an incredible mess Abraham created with Ishmael because he would not wait on the Lord. Instead, in his flesh, he went ahead with his wife's plan. And God did not come to him right after that and say, 
I'm going to credit you now with righteousness. God didn't come and say that to Abraham. In fact, I think it was about 13 years before God would even speak to Abraham again. So we see in those cases where Abraham stepped forward and obeyed the word of the Lord, it was then credited to him as righteousness. Am I saying that righteousness comes by the law or by works? No, I'm not. I'm saying that righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ. But it is not empty faith. It is absolute trust, fidelity. It is absolutely believing in Jesus and walking in the way he tells us to walk. And that walk is empowered by the Spirit of the living God. See, the false dichotomy that positional righteousness teachers want to create is that either you're walking by the law or you're walking with faith that has no action. They both will take you to hell. All righteous acts are empowered by the Lord God of heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ. All righteous acts are empowered by God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Finally, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, and he does not say, I have credited your action with Ishmael as righteousness doesn't say that. He says instead, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. I am the provider God. Not Ishmael. Not Hagar. They're not the providers. I am the provider, he says. And then he says, walk before me and be blameless. In other words, walk before me without sin. And he says, I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And then he makes a a covenant with him. And Abraham is told, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, but her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down and he laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. If only the works of my flesh could live under your blessing. God, let me light my own fires. Let me live the life I want to live. God would have none of it. Some of you, when I say, 
you are called to live without sin before God by the blood of Jesus, you laugh at me. You don't believe it's possible to live without sin. You don't believe it's possible to be truly made righteous. After Abram, now Abraham believes. The three messengers from heaven come, and they sit and talk with him. They fellowship with him. This is the same promise that Jesus makes in Revelation, the third chapter, in the message to the Laodicean church. We're going to get back to that. He says, I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and sup with you. I will fellowship with you. I will come and sit with you like I came and sat with Abraham. What an incredible promise. It is not made out of the flesh. It is made out of the Spirit. Now, there's one last part we need to look at. Chapter 22, Abram, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, and he headed to the mountain. Verse 15, this is after he was going to offer the boy. Angel of the Lord said, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld your son from me. Today, there is so little life in the Christian church except that of worldliness and entertainment because there is no fear of God. No fear of his righteousness, no fear of his judgment, because we've been taught a lie of positional righteousness. There a lamb is given, and there it is called, the Lord will provide. Now listen. The Lord calls to Abraham from heaven a second time, and he says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, Done what? Obeyed the word of the Lord. Because you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. There was content to the righteousness of Abraham. There was content. It was not simply, I will believe, a positional righteousness. And this is what the Apostle Paul is using in the book of Galatians as the example of how we are to believe Jesus Christ. Righteousness is a free gift. It is literal. It is real. Our lives must be transformed. We must lay aside the sin the rebellion, the anger, we must be transformed into new creatures or we will not enter into heaven. 
the promises of God are dependent upon our allowing ourselves to be made righteous by the presence and power of the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Mighty God, would you make this word alive for my brothers and sisters? Would you bring deep conviction of heart and a casting off of all that is of this world, the love of the flesh, the love of the of the devil, the love of the world? Would you separate your people from the wickedness of this age? Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you today. Thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. When you get serious about the message I just shared with you, would you come visit the National Prayer Chapel? There are a few places in town that teach what you just heard, but not very many. I invite you to come and fellowship with us. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. And there you'll find where we meet and all the other information necessary. You can listen to this message again by going to the video or the podcast that will be up by tonight. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory. 